Right? They only give away one prize. The winner. So run. So run that you may obtain. So run that you might, can we say, so run like you want to win. Alright? And then Hebrews 12 and 1. All right, we forgive you this time. Somebody got it real quick and they can read it. Brother Andrew, stand and read really loud, would you? Or Brother Sam, sorry. Wherefore, seeing we also are passed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience and grace that is set before us. All right. So, here is the same writer, Paul. Now he's saying, you got to run, but you got to take, if you're going to run well, if you're going to run to win, if you're going to run and win, he says you got to take all the, the baggage off. Take, and then he says you got to run with patience. In other words, he says, got to run with endurance. You got to run with endurance. Okay? And, or run with discipline. Let me just. Before we get started, let me just say this, that I, I read this and I thought it was worth repeating. Discipline is not what you do to yourself. It is what you do for yourself. Yes. Oh my. Not about what you're, it's what, what you're doing for yourself. And so the, the title here tonight is that I can't run in those shoes. I can't run in those shoes, right? Now, I don't know about you. Well, there you go. Here we go. Now, that is the running shoe in what year, Cliff? 1800s. 1800s. You have, it looks like you got three toe spikes on there. One on the heel, one towards the middle, and one on the toe. All right, hey, there you go. Now, I don't know about you. When I was a kid, we didn't get new shoes very often. Anybody with me on that? Truly. I can tell you some stories you wouldn't believe me, but I would tell you anyway. But when we did get a new pair of shoes, it was always you, you, you had to try them out to see how fast you could run them. Sure, come on. But, I mean, if you got new shoes... That meant that you could really run faster than you could in the old pair. All right? Now, Cooper, no, both of you here. Good example. Cooper and uh, Mason. Here, come right in. Now, stand right up here, okay? Now, let's pretend like they're running a race. Now, I'm not sure that Cooper can run very well in them shoes. What do you think? I think Mason's got an advantage here. You think? Would you agree with that? Yeah. Now, all right, thanks, guys. <laughs> and I, I could pick. Is, do we have any? Mark's got some nice skids. Yeah. Nice. How about, does any ladies have some really fun shoes? I mean, you like some, uh, some stilts or something? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Natalie? No, no, she's got normal shoes. 
We have the like nobody's got high heels on. Nah. Andrew, you have? No. I'm just I got you. I got your hand went up. All right. But now now Paul he really did. He used several and there's a couple more places we might get to, but but he really did. He tried to capture our attention here, tried to capture our Christianity, the church, to get us to understand that serving God is more than just, you know, a, a life at ease. It's meant to be lived in a way that we need to have that mindset that whatever we're going to do for God, we need to do it in such a way that there is that winner attitude that has to be displayed. It has to be carried out. And really, in all of life, that's the way it is, right? But now, so many major sports events have been canceled out so far this year. I hear some are starting up again. But... One after another, cancel, cancel, cancel. But I've got good news. One major, major event has not been canceled. You know what it is? Life. And life matters. It has not been canceled out. No fans to spur us on. I, I wondered, and I, I brought this up a couple of times and, and talking to people here about the sports, but no fans to spur us on. The, the stadium's empty. How well will they play with no fan base? How well? When nobody's there to watch, right? Nobody's there to, that's my God. How well do we play in life, in, in service? How, how, no, no, nobody there to cheer you? How well are, how well do you want to live for God? But I wonder how well they will do. No spectators. Nobody's here. Oh JFK said this. How many of you know what that stands for? What? Who? What do you do? Who? John F. Kennedy. Wow. Ooh. How about that? They still teach that in school? I'm just asking. That's all. I mean, it happened back in... How many of you were there that day? Come on. Remember that day? Fourth grade, Baker City. My best friend's grandma lived in Dallas, Texas. Boy, I remember that day. But JFK said this. He says, we do not want our children to become a generation of spectators. Rather, we want them to become participants in the vigorous life. And Paul uses two sports metaphors in several scriptures, two of which we read. But are we in the race that he's talking about? Are we in the race? Are we running to win? 
And let me, uh, let me give you a couple of definitions. I think that they're, they're very powerful and they go right along here with, uh, with my thought here tonight. Number one, enthusiasm. You know where enthusiasm comes from? Well, you know, it comes from a Greek word. Okay, it's a Greek word. It means to be inspired by God or to be full of God. All right. So, what fuels you and I, what fuels us into running this race that Paul's talking about in such a way that we want to be the very best that we can possibly be. How much enthusiasm do we have when it comes to, when we talk about God, how much enthusiasm comes across? When we talk about sports, you know, oh yeah, or whatever, right? Yeah. But that word really talks about being inspired by God, being full of God. And one Christian writer says it like this. He says, if you are a disciple of Christ, then you are one of God's athletes. If you, if you are a follower of Christ, he says, then you are one of his athletes. Paul says, when you get in this thing, you better run. And you better run to win. And you better plan on running with patience. And you better plan on, if you're going to be in this race to win, he says, you better lay aside the weight and those sins that, you know, that kind of hang around a little bit. He says, you better lay them aside because if you want to win this race, you've got to run in a way that has a mindset of a winner. Philippians 4.14. Here he goes again. He says, I press toward the mark. He says, I press, 14-1, or I'm sorry, 4, yeah, well, I'm sorry, 4-1 four, or 4, I press toward the mark, maybe it's 3-14. I couldn't have possibly given you the wrong scripture. <laughs> we'll give you this time. <laughs> I couldn't have possibly what is it, 314? See, all you had to do was turn back a chapter. But here's what he said. He says, I, here again, he's, he's saying, he says, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He says, I, he, he doesn't talk about just kind of you know, galloping, trotting. He says, no. He says, I press toward the mark. In other words, the goal. He says, I press toward it. 
and he goes, there's more to it, but I just want to bring that one up. He says, forgetting the things that are behind and, and so on and so forth. But let me, let me begin here. Let me, uh, let me bring to you two very famous, very famous uh, American athletes that you don't hear too much about them anymore because of uh, the length of time that it has been since uh, they competed. Number one, Jesse Owens. Anybody ever heard of him? Jesse Owens was a black American who won four, four gold medals in the 1936 Summer Olympics held in Berlin, Germany. Huh. Now, how would you like to have been a black athlete competing under the eyes of Adolf Hitler? That was his stadium. That was his stadium. Now, you can't. Jesse, did somebody forget to tell him? that he can't run in those shoes in front, being that person in front of Nazi Germany. And he was, he was the most successful athlete at the games. And as a black athlete, he was credited, get this, with single-handedly crushing Hitler's myth of Aryan supremacy. You can't run in those shoes, Jesse. But they say, but they say his greatest achievement was while he was running track for Ohio State University during his college years which back then they did not give him a scholarship. He had to work and still go to school. But on May 25, 1935, during the Big Ten track meet, he set three world records and tied a fourth one in a span of 45 minutes. It has been called the greatest 45 minutes in sport. Can we say that Jesse Owens helped change the course of black history, not by complaining of his past, but by competing in the present, he changed the course of the future. Nobody told him, apparently, that he couldn't run. Martin Luther King said this. He said, your self-image should not come from the job you do, but from how well you do your job. Lou Holtz, probably never heard of him. 
football coach of Notre Dame, had a very humble beginning in life. He's, he writes this. He says, when I was a young child and my father was out of work for a week, leaving no food in the house, the question, what's important now, had an easy answer. Get out, work, hustle, and do whatever it took to survive. When, as he calls it, is a strategy that applies in prosperity as well as during depression. He goes on to write, people my age and older were not concerned about their rights and privileges. We were conscious of our obligations and responsibilities. If you contributed nothing to society, you were not entitled to the rewards. He goes on to write during his first year of college, he did not have a strong academic foundation or good study habits. But he says, I had several friends who helped and encouraged me on a daily basis. And I was determined not to fail. And at the end of the day, commitment and determination triumph every time. He says, we all have talents and abilities that reside deep within. Competition brings that talent out. Fear of failure keeps them repressed. Paul said, you gotta run. You gotta run. And you gotta run. He says, I see it. It's ever before me. There is the goal line. He says, and I pressed toward that thing yes. with everything yes. that I got. He said, in fact, he says, I counted everything but what? Dung. No. Yeah. D-U-N-G, four letter. He says, I, that's biblical. That's a power scripture. That's what he said. He says, I'm looking there. He says, everything else? But I want you to I want you to, to to get that win strategy. What's important now? Jesse Owens literally changed. He helped change the course of history because he wasn't looking at his past to lay blame because of what he didn't have but he chose to what's important now he chose to compete in the present and in doing he changed the course of the future Hang on, we're getting somewhere. Let me bring another one to you. His name is Jim Thorpe. For the clip, you put the photo up there first. Anybody ever heard of him? How many young people? You ever heard of Jim Thorpe? Never heard of him. Did you ever hear of Jesse Owens? Never heard of him. Wow, wow, wow. 
Jim Thorpe was the first Native American athlete to win an Olympic gold medal for the USA in 1912. He won two gold medals in the, somebody help me pronounce it, Pen, Pentathlon or whatever you call it, and the Decapolon. Okay, which means this, it wasn't just a, a one event competition. Here's what that included. He had to compete in 15 events. Long jump, javelin, shot put, hurdles, high jump, pole vault, discus. He won eight of them prior to the 1500 meter race. You can't see it. He's got two different shoes on. This is right before the final competition, which is the 1500 meter race. Brother Andrew, tell me how tough it is to run a 1500 meter race. It's more than a mile. More than a mile. Right before the last event, his shoes are missing. The story is that there's a possibility that someone stole his shoes. Well, this is back in 1912, understand? They didn't have spare sneakers running around. <laughs> he finds one of some other athlete somehow has a spare shoe, one. How that happened, I don't know. And you can, you can Google it, it's true. And so he finds another one in a garbage can. And it's too big. So he has to put another sock on. Jim, you can't run in them shoes, son. He puts them on and he runs 1,500 meters and he wins the gold medal. You can't run in them shoes, you know? Let me ask you today, Brother Andrew. <laughs> Come on now, you're a runner, right? If you don't have the right kind of shoes today, they don't even think about running. There's no way you're going to run a 1,500 knee things. They would say, well, I just can't do that. I can't. You don't, you don't expect me to go out there and compete in these things, do you? Nobody told him. He 
he went out and got another shoe jack out of a garbage can and he put it on and he competed and he won. Put that other one up there, would you, Cliff? Brother Mark, you're a good sound. Read somebody read that for me. Okay, this is Jim Thorpe looking closely at the photo, which is non existent. You can see that he's wearing different socks and shoes. This was the fashion statement was the 1912 Olympic, aside from Cat Bolton's side. And Jim, an American Indian from Oklahoma, represented the U.S. in track and field. On the morning of this competition, his shoes were stolen. Luckily, Jim planned, ended up finding two shoes in a garbage can. That's the pair that he's wearing in the photo. But in one of the shoes was two bags, so he had to wear an extra sock. Wearing those shoes, Jim won two gold medals that day. This is a perfect reminder. One has to resign to the excuses that have held you back. So, what if life hasn't been fair? What are you going to do about it today? What if you woke up this morning, stole the shoes, ill health, failed relationships, failed businesses? Don't let it stop you from running your race. You can experience more life if you'll get over the excuses and get on living. You can have reasons or you can have results, but you can't have both. <laughs> oh, did I tell you that Jim Thorpe would go on, hold on, he would go on to play professional baseball, professional basketball, and professional football, becoming the first president of the future NFL. Young people, Google Jim Thor. He will expand. But you can't you can't run in them shoes. Everybody's gonna make fun of you. Well Mark? Just an added caveat, fifteen hundred meters unless you're using some other kind of Mathematics is less than one. It's point nine three two. But what one writer says this. He says everyone's life is a compilation of the people we meet, the things we do, the decisions we make, the choices we make determine how successful we are. You can't run in them shoes, Jim Ford. When you acknowledge that you and only you are responsible and accountable for the choices you make, and when you refuse to blame others for the choices you have made, you have in your hands the blueprint for success. Now I want to give you another word. This is a Hebrew word. I'm not sure how to pronounce it, but I'll try. Chutzpah. I ever heard of it? Did I pronounce it right? It's a Hebrew word. In the past, it's been used in a negative term. As in someone who is so consumed with their own life, they don't care about the lives of others, or someone who has overstepped the boundaries of accepted behavior. But more recently, 
It's a word that one Jewish writer defines as one's spiritual audacity. Now let me give you a couple of examples. Abraham, Genesis 18.22. The Lord showed up with a couple angels. Said, Abraham, we're headed to Sodom no more. And the Bible says, And the men turned their faces from thence and went toward Sodom, but Abraham stood yet before the Lord. In other words, very easily, he was a friend of God. He could have just, oh well, that's them, not me. So, you know, I feel for you, but there's nothing I can do for you. In other words, what Abraham did here is that he literally got, if I can use my imagination a little bit, he got in the face of of God and said will you destroy the righteous with the wicked in other words we're talking about a man that had that spiritual audacity in him that very easily he could have accepted that mindset and just watch things from afar take place but instead he got to a place where he got so brazen that he said God are you going to destroy the righteous with the wicked and what did God say help me out come on how many 50. How many of us would stop at 50? Yeah. <laughs> Done good. Done well. No, no. Abraham says, pardon me, but will you destroy the righteous? What about, Lord? He says, what about if I can find 40? Lord said, Okay, you win. Because nobody has stood before me and asked something like that before. Nobody's have ever nobody's had that kind of Yeah. And who do you think God never said, Who do you think you are questioning my judgment? I know. Abraham says, what does he go to? Goes to 30. He goes to 20. And then you read the story. He says, and Lord, he, he gets this point. He says, and I don't want to make you angry. That's what he says. He says, but if you will give us 10, Lord says, I will not. You can find me ten righteous people. Who's got that kind of thought? 
Listen, the Bible says that they were on their way. Understand? They had turned. The scripture says they turned their faces from thence and went towards on. And Abraham would, did he have to, in my imagination, he had to kind of make the, the circle and Hey, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. You know why? Because in Abraham's mind, he had the win strategy. He, what, what's important now? The important now thing was the present moment because there were there was a city that was about to be visited by a god that was not very pleased with them what was important now was abraham's extra effort that he was willing to put his own life possibly in jeopardy Abraham, man, you've overstepped your boundary, man. You can't just do that. How about Moses? 32 and 32. You know the story. Moses went up, came down. Israel was in a bad place. And God said, hey, Moses, just get out of the way. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to consume them. And I'm going to start all over. And I'm going to build a brand new nation from you. Here's what Moses says. He says, Lord, he says, if you will forgive their sin, and if not, blot me out, and I pray, take me out of the book which you have written. I don't know about you, but that's probably pushing the envelope just a little bit. My mind. Right? What was Moses? What was his spiritual audacity at that point? He was in it. When? What's important now? Well, what's important now is there is, excuse me, 600,000 families that are dependent upon Moses to fill in the gap that they have, you know, they've dug the ditch. He says, God either, either forgive them or when you blot them out, you're going to have to blot me out. And then there's the story of a very famous wrestler. Very famous. Not the Keller brothers. Not the McFaddens. Jacob. He's a wrestler. We know the story. 
The angel says, let me go. Not happening. Not until you bless me. Jacob says, tell me your name and I'll tell you mine. Right? But he says, I will not let you go until I get what I am here for. What's Jacob's way of strategy? What's important now? Not his past. Then he's really kind of, you know, made a mess of things. Not his future because he has no future. Esau is about ready to bump him. See, what's important now? Because what's important now is the present that will shape our future. What we do today, what I do now, I can't change my past, but I can help build my future. Like Jesse Owens, Jacob did not let his past destroy his future. He chose not to complain to God about his past. Well, you know, Lord, if I would have been, you know, if I would have, I would have been the first one. I wouldn't have grabbed him. I wouldn't have grabbed Esau's hill. I mean, you kind of made me do that, you know. If I would have been a firstborn, none of this, none of my past would be my past. I know probably nobody here has ever thought that thought. Right? I've just been the firstborn. But he chose not to complain to God about his past, by faith. but by competing in the present, he changed his future. It was the spiritual competitiveness of Jacob that became the trademark of Israel. Israel carries so much meaning. We get the full impact of it. Genesis 32 and 28. He said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince thou hast power with God and with men, and has prevailed. Hosea 12.4 records this wrestling match this way. It says, He took his brother by the heel in the womb, and by his strength he had power with God. Yea, he had power over the angel and prevailed. He wept and made supplication unto him. He found him in Bethel, and there he spoke with us. Jacob, you can't do that. You can't. You can't. You got the right kind of You can't. You can't. You can't get into a prayer meeting with God and tell him that you are not going to leave this place until you get what you receive? Sister Reyes, who, who does that? 
You don't have that privilege to do that. You, you don't have you don't have wear the right kind of shoes, Jeff. God's not gonna He's not gonna pay any attention to you. Brian, he's not gonna you can't go there. Cliff, you can't go there. I don't know. You can't go there, right? No, you can't go there. Abraham, you can't do that. Moses, you can't do that. Jacob, you can't do that. Close with another interesting gentleman. Again, young people probably never heard of him. His name was Johnny Wiesmuller. He was an American competition swimmer, one of the fastest swimmers in the 1920s, winning five Olympic gold medals for swimming. He won 52 U.S. championships. He set more than 50 world records and was reported to have never been defeated in official competition for his entire career. After retiring from competition, he became the sixth actor to play Tarzan in the movies. It is his famous Tarzan yell that you can hear. Can anybody do it? That's pretty weak. You gotta admit, it's pretty cool if you can do it. Never, they say he was never defeated in official competition. And then, one day, while Johnny was speaking to a group of wannabe actors, the question from the sidelines was this. Johnny, what's the best advice you can give us? Johnny smiled. He said, don't let go of the vine. <laughs> Don't let go of the vine. Now, if you've never seen Tarzan, you won't get that, right? Oh! Where's Gina? Don't let go of the vine. I close with this. Jesus said in John 15 and 5, what did he say? I am the vine. You are the branches. He that abide in me and I am him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me. What? Without me, you can do nothing. Don't let go of the vine. And don't let anybody tell you 
that you can't run this race All right. Come on. because of the shoes that you wear Come on. Yeah. or because of the color yes. of your skin or because of your upbringing because you're born in some place called Mississippi <laughs> Tupelo what good comes out of Tupelo nothing but Elvis baby nothing but Elvis you understand is it Paul says hey 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 he says you need to run you need to run this race not, we're not talking about the race outside the church. We're talking about running your spiritual race. We're talking about you and me becoming, we are, God said, you are my athletes. See, we, we don't even... Back in that day, back in that day, they had no trainers. They had no weightlifting rooms and the right kind of diet. They were scratching a living. They had nothing. They couldn't even... They couldn't even get their college tuition paid. What more do we need that we don't have access to? What more do we need? We got it all. We got it all. What's important now? What's important now is for you and me, for you and me to be present in the moment, forgetting everything that is behind us, and competing in the present moment because we know we know that it will have an impact upon the future and our future is golden all the way man there's no bronze and there's no silver it's all gold amen would you stand with us tonight praise god Hallelujah. God's so good. God is so good. Praise His name. Praise His name. Brother McCune, would you pray and dismiss us tonight, please? Father, we thank you.